Welcome to the Tactics Meeting, Episode 19, Clean Pacific Conference. We'll be talking to Cassie Davey and Carrie Buckholtz from Clean Events about this year's Clean Pacific Conference. It's going to be a hybrid held on August 17th and 18th at the Hyatt Regency Lake Washington in Renton, Washington. It's going to be a great event. I'm hoping everybody's going to be able to join us. So we'll talk about what's going to be new and exciting this year. I'm your host, Dan Smiley, and here on the Tactics Meeting, we talk to subject matter experts about response tactics and technology. We will begin this week's episode with a safety minute, and to help us, we have Amy Does from iWorkWise. Hi, Amy, and welcome to the program. Hi, Dan. The topic for today is Firewatch. Amy, what do employees need to know? Basically, you need a fire watch assigned whenever hot work is close enough to flammables or combustible materials that a fire could start. So typically, whether it's general industry or or on ships, that's about 35 feet. Um, And there's some nuances that there's too many to go into, but basically, um, you've got to keep your heat sources and ignition sources and your fuel separate. That is the key to preventing hot work fires. And as you know, Dan, we've had a whole spate of them this year. Uh, on ships, and uh, they are ugly and usually result in, in total destruction of the ship. So very important topic. Uh, these people are very important to uh, operations. Well, then can anybody do this job? Can I just grab somebody out of the office or what kind of training is required? The training is real specific, whether you're in the uh, shore side or whether you're on ships. And basically, the uh, fire watches need to have the fire, fire extinguishing equipment that they're assigned readily available, and they need to be trained in its use. And if you dig further, um, it's, that requires annual training and discharge of extinguishers. So I think most employers are underdoing their firewatch training. I don't know that they're doing it annually. I don't know that they're including uh, the detail and actually how to discharge a fire extinguisher or let, letting people do it. And it's an easy thing to do. You just get some baking soda BC extinguishers or CO2 ones and, and uh, let make sure your firewatchers know how to do it. They also need to know how to sound the alarm in the event of a fire um, and to know when it's too bad and they need to need to leave. They also need to stay 30 minutes after hot work and in the maritime side, even longer. The regulations for maritime are much more detailed and the list is longer for that annual fire watch training. So if somebody wanted to get more information, what resources are available? Well, I think this is a, a topic that's deserving of that. And um, I think you and I, some years ago, Dan, did a podcast that's still available on uh, fire watches in detail. I WorkWise has an online class, both for shoreside, shore general industry, and for maritime. I think those are good. It should be pointed out that, uh, that those are joint search. There's a couple topics employees have to cover. So even though we can cover all the, all the required topics uh, that can be done conceptually, there's a couple on-site things like the location of alarms, specifically in the workplace, that need to be covered by that employer. So a really key job, usually assigned to a low-level, low-paid employee who's just, you know, can be, can afford to sit around, basically, but kind of a silent hero because they save the ship from being burned up. Important to do it right. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for helping to keep us safe. You bet, Dan. Anytime. 
Now let's get to this week's amazing episode. Today's topic is Clean Pacific. You know, we kind of missed Clean Pacific last year because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but this year we're back in person and to talk about what we can expect from this event this year, we have Cassie Davey, Senior Conference Manager at Clean Events. Cassie, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having us on today. You're welcome. And we have Carrie Buckholtz, Marketing Director at Clean Events. Carrie, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. So, Cassie, you've been working to put this event back together. We've had uh, the uh, before COVID days. I, the last one that I went to at in Vancouver was amazing. And I'm really excited to be able to come to this uh, Clean Pacific event, August 17th and 18th at the Hyatt Regency Lake Washington in Renton, Washington. Actually, my sister lives really close to that. So super, <laughs> super convenient for me. I can even have the, I can even bring the dogs be because of that. So I'm, I'm excited to be able to, to do this, but I see that it's going to be a hybrid event as well, and that we're going to have virtual participants. So can you start by telling us a little of what we can expect from Clean Pacific this year and um, how your decision making went to make this a hybrid event? Yeah, and thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about, about Clean Pacific. One thing I want did wanted to point out is Clean Pacific didn't completely go away last year. What we did is we took five sessions that we thought were a particular value both to our Canadian and our US audience and we recorded them and we made them available at no charge to anyone who had been registered for Clean Pacific last year. So we, we really got our feet wet, jumped in like a lot of people did with a lot of grace um, given us and did those recordings last year so that we, we could still keep engaged with this community of people um, even last year, moving forward to this year. So um, last year, what worked out really well for us is um, we actually held two live events last year, Clean Waterways, which is for the, in the inland waterway systems in the United States. We actually held that live last year in Indianapolis. It was much smaller. There was loads and loads of um, additional safety protocols that were put in place. It was like one person per six foot table. So it really spread out, constantly disinfecting everything. Um, but it gave us, um, got our feet wet with what it would feel like even in a very restricted environment um, to hold a live event. And then later that year in November, we had response in a pandemic um, summit in Houston, where we're, we're based, um, and again, had an opportunity to hold a live event with, uh, again, a lot of safety protocols, some of which we'll still have in place for our events moving forward, um, so that we could see what it was uh, like to do um, a, a hybrid event um, in kind of in a smaller setting. So um, moving forward into this year, and something like I, I've said to other people before, there's a, there's a reason that television is shot in front of a live audience. And part of that is, is there is an energy 
and an exchange of ideas that happens face-to-face -face that does not work well in a virtual world. And the clean events, of which there are three, Clean Pacific that we're talking about now, um, is built entirely on relationships. It's, it's bringing the groups of people together that you would see on a response before that event happens and allow people to build those relationships and in, in that build trust. There are conversations that go on over lunch or you know, afterwards having drinks or, or, or in the hallway that don't happen in a virtual world very effectively. So with those two hybrid events under our belt last year, we made a decision early on that moving forward that these events were going to have a very strong live component. Um, we do know that um, we we know they'll be smaller, uh, clean Pacific for, for one thing. Oh, my God, we're going to be on Lake Washington in August. What better time of the year um, to, to be able to do that? We also have a, a water demo actually happening on the day before on Monday, and that's going to be out on the dock. There's a dock. People could, like, boat up to the event. Um, so, cause we're going to try to take advantage as much as possible, um, for this absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous place. So this year, um, we, we do expect for it to be smaller. The content is less and so are smaller. So it's a day and a half. It's in a single room. We want, we don't want to move people around too much. We don't want to split the audience. Um, the, the programming, um, in particular, uh, Clean Pacific has a different vibe from the other the other two events. I grew up in California. I understand that intense desire to protect something environmentally that's just gorgeous. And the Pacific Northwest certainly is magical. Um, it's important culturally um, and spiritually to people, like like in another way. So it will be smaller. We still anticipate there'll be a hundred or more people. Uh, we will have whatever distancing uh, and any protocols that are in place that are required by the location or the city will be using. Um, but we are so looking forward to being back live because it's a very community based in terms of all the parts of the industry that come together that it just happens in a different way live than it can um, in, in a virtual world. Yeah, I'm looking forward to being there. I, I signed up very early. And I know what you mean by needing that energy of the live audience. You know, I watched the late show with Stephen Colbert all through the pandemic, and he did it from his house, and it had a kind of a different vibe. The day he got back in front of a live audience was just crazy. And I think we're going to see the same kind of thing at Clean Pacific all of well, my peers are going to be so happy to finally see everyone. We've been trying to do these things remotely. I, I led four worst case tabletop exercises and they worked after a fashion. But this family, this camaraderie, this this teamwork has, is something that you just you can't put on the screen, at least not uh, not all of it. Uh, Carrie, how are you going about making this uh, a virtual event for those who are going to join from the from their home or their office? 
Yeah, so we have a platform we're using called SwapCard. It's actually what we used for the summit that Cassie mentioned last year where we got our feet wet. And it is a desktop platform as well as a mobile app. So kind of answers your question of how we integrate the live audience with the virtual is if you're at the live audience, you can have the app on your phone. And that's not only dictating you to be able to create your schedule and what exhibitors you want to meet and when your sessions are, but you can also network through it via chat or a FaceTime call. And then vice versa, people on the virtual platform can do the same thing and try to connect with those attending live. And I think most notably is that we'll have live Q&A. So if you're participating virtually, the session's happening live, you're watching it on your screen, you're seeing what the live audience is seeing. And if you have a question at the end of the session, we're gonna open it up to everyone and dictate it through the app. So all the questions will go through there. So if you're sitting at home, you still have just as good of an opportunity to ask that speaker a question as you would if you were at the live event itself. So if I'm at the live event and I want to ask a question, I also am using the app to do so. That's what we are leaning toward, yes, to keep it more streamlined and to not be kind of battling between, oh, the live audience is going to win over the virtual audience in terms of asking those questions. So one of us will be working on site with um, a uh, member of the um, Claim Pacific Committee or a speaker that will be kind of looking at... Uh, questions and fielding them and getting those to the speakers in real time. I think that is exactly the right choice in how to do that. That makes that levels the playing field that doesn't favor one group of participants over the other. I think you've made a really good design choice there. What about health and safety? I think there's a health and safety message that's on on the website recently Washington State. Uh, fully opened up. I go, I'm here in Vancouver, Washington, and you know, there's a few masks around uh, here and there, but for the most part, it's business as usual. Uh, the restaurants across the street are just packed. So it's, you know, it's, it's a pre-COVID vibe at, at the moment. What restrictions, if any, are going to be in place or precautions are going to be taken during the Clean Pacific Conference? So I'll go ahead and I'll, and I'll take that. It's funny because we were just um, talking about that in a team meeting today. Um, we're still going to do some distancing of, of people. We as staff, we are fully, we're all vaccinated. Um, we're going to follow whatever the CDC guidelines are with regards to um, with regards to any kind of additional distancing or anything that we um, that we would need to be doing. I'm messing around with some stuff on my computer. Sorry. Um, so we're we're, st we're we're talking about, for example, setting the room still with six foot tables with two people per table, so that we we're not crunching people too closely together. Um, there are uh, we are still though going to ask that our um, the servers who are serving food remain masked regardless, and they're still, we've eliminated a lot of touch points. So, for example, for this particular meeting, this conference, we're not going to have, we're going to be sending people more, and Kerry can, can answer this too, more towards the app rather than printing out a lot of things. So we're still... Um, realize and and definitely with a with a hybrid meeting that there are people who who first can't can't travel 
um, or people who still feel uncomfortable being in a um, in a live setting. And so for this year, for all our events, we're going to have that component so that people can make those choices choices for themselves. Um, there are um, other guidelines that we give to speakers, for for example, we'll be disinfecting microphones after people go back and forth, things like that. Um, it's I don't think it's going to be quite as stringent as we had to have the things that we had to follow last year, but we will follow whatever guidelines um, are recommended by the state as well as by the location. Okay, that's great. Well, as you point out, the number of people aren't going to be able to make it at all. The Canadians are a big part of the clean Pacific community, and their border is locked up tight. So, the, and the last news I showed, they were uh, maybe loosening up on Canadians coming to the United States. They're completely locked down for Americans going north into to Canada. So it's really hard to say what their ability to travel will be come August. It's another yeah. reason I think you've made the right design choice with this hybrid model. And, and you know, something, Dan, that I would throw in there, that's one of the reasons why there are three sessions apart from what are, are, is happening live that we're recording. And it was per, in particular to give the opportunity for our, our Canadian counterparts to be involved in um, in some of the content. Um, so one of them is, we have two response case study sessions. One is live and one is recorded. And the live one, uh, sorry, the recorded one, we're working directly with Jeff Brady um, with the Canadian Coast Guard. And he has, there's two um, case studies that are Canadian specific. And then one um, that Randy Nattis is going to do, that is the Oregon wildfires. But the other two sessions that we're recording um, have a, um, a foundation in one is um, the, the IAMC, it's the Indigenous Advisory Monitoring Committee and Emergency Management. That's a conversation between um, Kelly Malinowski with Trans Mountain and Tina Donald, um, neither of whom can, can come. And then there's another one having to do with capacity building. That's Canadian as well as U.S., those are people who are, to the clean Pacific community, are very important. It's a huge part of the content. They can't come, and so we wanted to make sure that there was a way to include them and to make them part of the program, and so that's why we're going to be recording those, and those rec that recorded content will be available following the conclusion of the event to both the virtual and the live audience. Oh, I think that's great. I could have done a case study on the Aleutian Falcon fire. Oh, maybe I should add you. So, <laughs> it was my first really big ship fire in Washington State. We've had a bunch of ship fires in the United States over over sure, this year, sure right? Yeah, yeah, we had that container ship that was on fire uh, off the coast of California. We had one in Jacksonville, Florida. And then the, the Golden Ray has been a real big one, and there's been ongoing fires during that salvage. Yeah, so yeah, so my boss, my immediate boss, Chris Graff, the director of response services for Gallagher Marine Systems, has been the incident commander down there alongside Tom Weicker, the 
vice president of operations right from the beginning and we're coming up on two years two years yeah they just lifted section three i think and in the process of doing some of that uh ship caught fire there was another spill so yeah golden ray which is a is a huge case study and it's a, a shame that there isn't somebody able to speak to that a little bit well, that, yeah, that that's um, hopefully going to be part of Clean Gulf, but as you can imagine, um, it's illegal. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. I'm sure no one can speak about much of anything. Well, um, uh, the, re the response side, oftentimes they can because that's that's information that's public. So I, I have to say, a lot of the case studies that we've done that still have, as you know. 10, 15 years will have ongoing legal action against it. What's actually been distributed within the public realm and on the response side, oftentimes they can talk about it, just they have to be very careful with, yeah. with what they say. But yeah, I'm, I'm gonna give a case study lecture on the Aleutian Falcon fire at the Northwest Area Oil Spill Control Course in August. I guess right after clean, the week after clean Pacific. Wow. I guess is what it's going to be. Is it live? Is it live? I don't know. Is it? No, I don't think so. <laughs> we should rec we should record it though. That's a good idea. <laughs> Maybe I'll be looking at using. Uh, what did I just write down? Swap card. I'll be looking into swap card to see how maybe I'll learn something about about broadcasting this stuff at, at Clean Pacific. So we, we have a couple of case studies, some from Canada, uh, one from the United States. What other presentations can we look forward to seeing? So so something that I that I always think is kind of it's so interesting to me about our, our clean Pacific committees. So just a, a little bit more information, the committee structure and the committees, the planning committees are the ones that build the content. And, you know, since we don't have to go through like writing papers for any of the clean events, it makes us very nimble and it allows us to focus on things that are very relative to what's going on at right now. And I know for, for typical clean events, I hold a couple of spots open um, that if something comes up that's that's really interesting, um, that we can throw something together almost last minute and make it available to the audience. So the, the committees are made up of, um, I try to get as many voices together as possible that represent all different aspects of it. And, and with Clean Pacific being smaller this year, normally we have three rooms operating um, at throughout the entire event. And again, this year it's it's one room for a day and a half that means less content and it was really interesting we had our 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 meetings our planning meetings were held virtually which sucked um because they because you, you don't have that collaboration of people like you know together and but it was really interesting to me um what they were going to filter it down to, like what were the six sessions going to be that were going to be filtered down that were most valuable to this particular group of people. And, um, you know, wildlife is a really important topic. And that I, I thought, oh, that's a smaller group of people that's not going to make it on to there. But, but it did. And so that was... Um, was interesting to me. Obviously, there's also a focus on the type of things that were 
particularly important that happened um, during last year, and that's all the virtual command post stuff. It's it's in all three of the the clean events. And what are people going to take forward in the future? I mean, they're they're ultimately, for example, and you, you would know this way better than than I would know this. Is there are more there are things that you can do virtually, but eventually there are going to be more boots on the ground. Um, so you you need that live component. You can do it with you know with drones you can do it with a lot of different things but there's still that live component where you can't pick everything up virtually there's smells there's sounds there's there's just so many other things but but looking at what has been learned um in exercises that occurred last year that had to be virtual what what has been gleaned from that that's moving forward it, you know in all I would say in surveys following any of our conferences, what do people want more of? They want more case studies. So um, they want more case studies. So um, that's why probably we, we have two, but it's this opportunity to come together to talk about um, in, in, a, in a fairly safe environment. That's one of the things I would say about the clean events. These are all people within the industry and um, they, know each other, they trust each other, but they could talk about things where they're they're not gonna get attacked for those, those viewpoints. I would say it's a very collegiate environment, all, all three of the clean events. So, so that wildlife issues, but wildlife issues specific to the Pacific Northwest. So again, there's some very similar content between all three of the cleans, but this is really focused on Western Canada and the Pacific Northwest, down into California, but we can't get those Californians to come live. I don't know. I'm a Californian, so I can say that. They're just, we, it's just hard to get them there in person. Um, emerging technologies is always like a very important topic. We do have a transboundary um, stakeholder um, issue one, but it has more to do with kind of moving from Alaska to the US through Canada. Um, that um, but transboundary is usually something we we have because we have such a heavy Canadian perspective when you it typically they're present. Um, so that's one of the ones um, inland preparedness and response. It doesn't just cover the coast. It's also navigable inland waterways, Columbia River, Snake River, thing, things like that that occur. Um, I mean, just looking at EPA, it goes all the way, their sector, it goes all the way to Idaho. We, we don't have that much of a focus. Um, typically, we've got more of a um, of a marine focus, um, and, and that's where I want you, Dan, to come in. That's why you're going to be on my committee next year, and you're going to drag all this marine. Chris Graff is going to be on the program next year. You have to promise me that. I promise uh, you. <laughs> I, can get, I can get you Chris. So there's that, and then, um, again, the, um, the on-demand sessions. So it's a, I think the committee came up with a really nice balance. Um, I think that they felt these were topics that were most important to to this particular group of people and um i think man just coming together live as much as we can um is just going to be it's going to be magical everyone needs to it's going to be magic i tell you
<laughs> I I believe you. I'm I, I, I'm excited. I was you know, talking. I'm looking forward to Ed Owen's session. He's going to be talking about yeah. using uh, dogs in scat. And I was telling my dog Winston that he needs to get a job. Maybe. maybe he's <laughs> He's looking at me like, no, no, this is my job. I, I'm keeping this chair, this chair I'm laying in, I'm keeping it from floating away. That's my mission at the moment. So I think that's going to be great. Is there, are there still tickets available? It's going to be a smaller group. Is, are you going to max out? Is there still room for people to register? Oh, I'll take that yeah. one. No, no, Mac. Um, come on in. Uh, anyone can still register for the live event and, of course, the virtual as well. And we'll even take registrations on site. If you just show up at the hotel, we can set you up. Okay. I, I was lucky. I slipped in in early registration and, and, and got a deal. I think that I saw one of the emails come out that you extended the, the deal. Is that over? Is that still going on? Are we... What's the what's the cost now? Yeah, so we have a couple different price points. We have um, one for a regular attendee like yourself and a government rate. So government's always a little bit lower. And then the virtual path is even lower than that. So let me just pull up so I don't misquote our current rates. But no, the sale is over. So we're in what we call our advanced rate. So prices will go up before we get on site. So you do want to register early to make sure you're saving some. So it's currently $5.99 for a regular pass or $3.99 if you're government. And if you can't come in person, we'd still love to have you virtually and it's $1.99. And there's no saying that a discount won't come back. We uh, are always happy to throw out a little deal to people as we get closer. So I always say, look out, you know, you never know what you're gonna get. <laughs> Perfect. Well, one ninety nine for a virtual pass—that's a deal. Especially since it sounds like you've put a lot of work into making sure that virtual participants are going to get a good experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they'll be able to access the full attendee list. So to network with anybody, including the exhibitors, and all the exhibitors have a little virtual booth within the platform that you can check out as well. So we really try to make sure they get a good networking experience on top of just the um, idea of watching the sessions. Do we have a keynote speaker to, that's kicking out? No, um, not this year. There'll, there will be a, a recorded welcome, um, but we decided if we, if we did a keynote, then that would have taken enti an entire session, which would have cut down our other sessions even more. So the committee decided to roll with the six sessions that they felt would be the most valuable to this audience rather than take away a session and, and give it to a keynote. I think that was probably a, a wise decision as well, considering the single room that you are setting aside to, to do, do the event. Any last bit of information you'd like the listeners to know? You know, just something I would say, too, is, uh, again, the location is is so beautiful on the lake, and the the rate that we have is a, is a really good rate, and it's a matter of fact, it's lower than the, the government rate for the area. So even anyone who's, a, who's like a federal or state person, that rate is, um, is 219, which is less than the current government rate for the Seattle area. So it is, um, we you know, we just hope 
whoever can come can come, whether it's virtual or or whether it's live and in, in person and um, can't wait to be there. So all of you tactics meeting podcast listeners come in person. We want to see you. I want to see you. Cassie wants to see you. Carrie wants to see you. We all want to see you. And the, you're right. The Hyatt uh, at South Lake Union is uh, in Renton is uh, amazing. Well, Cassie Davey, Carrie Buckholtz, Clean Events. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the program. Thanks Thank so much, you. Thanks for thanks for the invitation. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Tactics Meeting. I hope you enjoyed the program, and I hope to see you all at Clean Pacific. <laughs>